I see these baby blue eyes look and his eyes get super huge as he sees the letter writing gear underneath my rack. Uh-huh. And he just stares a hole through. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it. He's, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Jeez. Very excited about what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to go right into the history. November 10th, 1775, months before the actual signing of the Declaration of Independence, a military force was formed to go and have an amphibious raid at Fort Nassau in the Bahamas. 234 men executed the first amphibious landing. They successfully took Fort Nassau, capturing cannons, armaments, and gunpowder. Jump ahead a little bit. World War I. Bello Wood, France. 20 days of intense fighting. U.S. forces were pinned down by German machine gun fire. On June 7, 1918, U.S. forces had few grenades left. They assaulted with fixed bayonets, seizing enemy positions. They even successfully fought off a German counterattack, and they won their nickname, the Devil Dogs. 1950. Korean War. Battle of the Chosen Reservoir. U.S. forces were surrounded by Chinese Communist forces, and they were outnumbered 8 to 1. Snow, wind, and the worst weather in 50 years. Temperatures reached negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I almost said 400 degrees Fahrenheit. That would be really terrible. Those U.S. forces that successfully fought off and fought through the enemy forces were known as the Chosen Few. They defeated 10 Chinese infantry divisions, fighting their way back to the sea to rejoin American forces. Known for their dress blues, their motto, Semper Fidelis, which in Latin means always faithful, and their warrior spirit, Marines are widely respected and an integral part of the U.S. armed forces, fighting across land, sea, and air, an elite brotherhood and sisterhood. They adapt and overcome. Their core values, honor, courage, and commitment. In the chaos of battle, character matters. The 82nd Congress in 1952 put forth a congressional mandate. The Marine Corps must be ready the most when the nation is generally least ready. To provide a balanced force in readiness for a naval campaign and, at the same time, a ground and air striking force ready to suppress or contain international disturbance short of large-scale war. So, today, I'm very pleased to welcome a good friend of mine, Charles Harger, who uh, entered the Marine Corps when? Uh, 2007. 2007, so a couple years ago. A couple years ago. Um, I'm very excited to have Charles on the podcast. We're going to talk about his choice to enter the Marine Corps, what he did, what some of his stories were. I was never in any military, um, or, I, w- I was never part of any of the armed forces, but I thought that the Marines would be pretty awesome if I did. I actually tried to get into the Navy because I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but sadly I had asthma on my record, on my medical records. Didn't even struggle with it very much, but literally nobody would take my, even like, I think I even called the Coast Guard. I was like, well, do you guys want a person? Teach me how to fly a helicopter? (laughs) Nope, I had asthma. Yep, one of those check marks. (laughs) Yes, you can't can't get through. So why did you choose to become a Marine? Well, uh, to be honest, I was probably from 16. I joined when I was 20. Okay. So between 16 and 20, I was doing a lot of remodeling, construction type stuff. So I kind of wanted to do something with that. Um, my dad was trying to convince me to become a Navy CB, mm-hmm. which is the Navy's elite building group. And, uh, I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then I, uh, talked to a Marine recruiter and he was telling me about combat engineers, Okay, which, uh, they do all different types. It's a huge field. So you can either do support for infantry units or building bridges you know, clearing minefields, all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And building, you know, wooden structures, temporary structures in combat mm-hmm. uh, zones and things like that. Uh, so that kind of interested me. And also my family was trying to steer me away from it. So <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, 
a little bit on the rebellious side, decided to go with that. Were there certain family members that were more against it than others? Yeah, my mom was definitely kind of freaked out about it. Um, my dad was, he was a little nervous as well. Probably the most against it was my sister, Faith. Okay, honestly. sure. Yeah, she was, she was very distraught and worried that I was going to be changed forever for the worse. And mm. so, but God is good. So, yeah. So you're, you're in your 20, well, you said you were 20 yeah. when you actually went in. Mm -hmm. How long was the process where you signed the paperwork until you went? So once I uh, went through the initial sign up, it was like a two month stint. I had to wait until they had a slot open for uh, me to go to boot camp. Mm -hmm. So that was March 27th, I believe, of okay. 2007. Okay. First day of boot camp. So what's that time frame like when, you're, when you know you're going to when you actually go? What, what's going on in your mind? Well, uh, you, you uh, get together with this group of, they call them poolies. Okay. And I can't remember what the acronym is. There's literally millions of acronyms right. that I have. <laughs> Military. <laughs> yeah. Not even a chance trying to remember them all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you'd get together every week with these guys, and you would do some sort of exercise or work on your Marine Corps knowledge. You're trying to, like, prepare yourself for boot camp as much as possible. Yeah. And uh, so... It was definitely kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. Yeah. So those people, are they active military or are they people like you who are going in? No, they're, most of them were high school kids getting ready to go in. Okay. Because you, you have to be at least, what, 17 or 18? Uh, 18. 18, okay. I think you can sign up. It just depends on where your birthday falls. Okay. That I think if sense. you're graduating and you're 17, you could probably sign up still. But. That makes sense. Okay. So you're getting together with these dudes and you're getting some workouts in, trying to get some of the, I guess, lingo. Do you, do you have like a book? Yeah, they would give us some literature, some books to kind of look at. I think mainly the recruiters are just, uh, so <laughs> there's just kind of running jokes that they're just after numbers. Yes. And uh, trying to prove their status quo so they'll sell you whatever line that you they need to to get you to sign up yeah so i mean which isn't i mean there's definitely some good recruiters but there's definitely some that are just out for the numbers absolutely yes kind of like so, a salesperson uh, you kind of just have to you know keep these guys settled and keep their interest peaked so that they don't back out of the decision to to join basically. right yeah <laughs> like once you sign the paperwork can you back out uh you can still back out but it's just, um, it's kind of a pain on the paperwork side. Mm, okay, so if it was, if you're going, like, so if you're going to go tomorrow, could you stop the process if you just wigged out? Um, you could. Typically, just before you start your travel to uh, your boot camp, your designated area, then you would have to go to, oh, uh, what's it? I can't remember the acronym. Anyway, it's it's the initial place where you swear in. Okay. And so that was in Gehanna, I think. Okay. Um, maybe it's MEPS. I think it's MEPS, something like that. Okay. Anyway, so you, after that, when you're sworn in, you know. Done deal. You signed on the line. Yeah. Then it's uh, kind of a big deal to try to back out. Is that the USMCO? Uh, no, it's, it's like there's actually... It's not just any particular branch. All the different branches have to go through that. Got it. Okay. So you may be in the room, you know, swearing in with guys going into the Army, Air Force, so oh, on and okay. so forth. So, yeah. So it's probably like, yeah, I'm not even going to try to guess on what that acronym could be. Um, okay, so then walk, uh, walk me through the day of. You, you wake up and it's time to go. Walk me through that. So let's see. We had to drive up with our recruiter to Cleveland okay. and we stayed at a hotel there, me and this other guy who was also going to the Marines. And it's just, it's totally weird. You're just, mm. you know, you're about to go into boot camp and you're all nervous. And at least I was. Um, so we're up there in Cleveland we stayed the night in this hotel and we get a flight down to uh, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And let's see, it's, it's almost kind of a blur because 
you're just having so many thoughts you're processing through while you're making this journey down there. And they, they typically will bring you in at night right. um, onto boot, in, into boot camp. Yeah. Just so you're kind of disoriented <laughs> and just they start the mind games off right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, super vulnerable. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, typically in any recruiting videos, you're on a giant bus or something that they're dropping you off. We were in like, like a 16 passenger van. Oh, wow. So, but yeah, it was me and like 12 other guys and we had to meet up at the airport mm-hmm. and this drill instructor was picking us up. So we were just all on edge. Then you go through the whole rigmarole of. Did y'all talk very much? No. Well, some guys would, but typically no. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. So it's just very, uh, very antsy, and you're just you're trying. At least I was. I'm trying to go through and follow all their instructions to the T to yeah. try to remain as low profile as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. You have the guys that are like, they have the chip on their shoulder, and they're just. It's different because the onboarding drill instructors are way more relaxed uh-huh. than your actual drill instructors for your platoon. Okay. So it's, it's kind of another set of mind games because they keep you up for like, I think like 36 hours or something. Wow. While you're doing all the initial paperwork and all that, all the uh, physical fitness tests and things like that. Yeah. So it's just really disorienting. And I've, I almost don't even remember slash try to remember. Sure. That makes sense. But yeah. So, and you have this, once you get there, you have your first, first and like last for quite a while, a phone call back to your parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're standing in a line and you have a sheet in front of you of what you're supposed to say to your parents or whoever yeah. when you call them. So it's just short and sweet. Hey, I've arrived on Paris Island, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'll con- don't try to contact me. I'll contact you when I'm able to. And uh, wow. my mom is always, like, tells me stories about that, how I sounded like a robot. Yeah. And I almost don't even remember saying it because I was just, like, following instructions. Yeah. Yeah, you're just doing, doing tasks at this yep. point, I would imagine. That's unreal. So there was, there was a, a documentary, I think it was on Netflix ages ago, that I saw, and it was basically just a documentary about the Marines. And, like, it starts with what you were talking about. Like, a bus comes in, all these dudes get off with, I think they have, like, a duffel bag of their stuff, maybe, or maybe it's just orders. I don't know. And they have to go stand on the boot prints. And then they go and they line up and they get their hair cut. And then they lined up and make the phone call. Maybe that's backwards. But they had to make the phone call, and it was just read the sheet. And then and they're getting yelled at the whole time. I'm like, oh, man, like, you're just... I I can't imagine the psychological stuff going on there where you're like... My gosh, what did I sign up yeah. for? What oh, did yeah. I do? Was that did that hit you pretty hard? Um, it did to a certain extent, but it was almost like it was just they keep you busy one hundred percent of the time. There's very little time for you mm. to actually stop and think about what's going on almost. Because you're going mm. here, 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 you're getting your uniforms, yeah, getting haircuts, getting your paperwork signed, getting measured, weighed, mm-hmm. initial in- immunizations, which is right. Miserable. Yeah. But, uh, Is that just like a ton of shots? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're basically, you'll walk down. Now, I can't remember if this was the initial or after, a couple days after. You have to go through medical at one point, and okay. you're literally walking in a line with nurses or just healthcare professionals on each side giving you shots in your arm. And I, you get like eight shots or something like that. Oh, my gosh. And you're like, I don't know what they're putting in me. But yeah. <laughs> Could be tracking chips. I don't turn into a... a Diseased animal or something. Yeah. Who knows, who knows what to, kind of trial drug I'm getting yeah. full of right now. Oh my gosh, I can't. I can't even imagine. So, um, yeah. So you get through all this training. It's twelve weeks, right? Yeah. Which is longer than any well, of the actually, other. Actually, yeah. It's it's kind of like almost thirteen weeks. It's but yeah, they say it's like twelve weeks. Okay. Yeah, I think that's was, my oldest brother's really good friend went into the Marines when I was a freshman in high school, I believe. And I remember, I think, I think the way he was describing it was like three months or something. Yeah, it's like three months. And it's longer than any other branch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, ha- I actually had a good friend of mine who went into the Air Force. Um, I, 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 just, I don't think his was that long. But then he had, he had like meteorology 
training or something because he went in to be a, a weather meteorologist oh, yeah. for the Air yeah. Force. So he had to go to that schooling, and that was way longer than the boot camp. That was camp. probably a year at least. Yeah, I feel two years. Yeah. Maybe not for the schooling, but I feel like he was away for two years before he came back. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, what was maybe the most challenging part of the process going through boot camp? Uh, well, let's see. There's, I mean, there's all different kinds of challenges. Mm-hmm. Physical, I mean... I would say the largest challenge would probably be the mental aspect. And once you come to the realization that it's just a mental game that they're mm-hmm. trying to play with you and you just play the game, it's a lot easier. And some guys don't really grasp that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's, I, I mean, there were a few situations that were challenging. Um, I won't go into all of them. Sure. But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the physical was obviously a challenge. I mean, when I got out of boot camp, my family didn't recognize me. For, <laughs> I, I came in weighing 175 and left weighing 175 and looked completely different. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, probably the first and only time I had an actual six-pack that yeah. looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard stories like that. Um, you go in and... The physical stuff is just insane, but then yeah, you basically once you f- once you kind of learn the game, like you said, do you feel like do you feel like before it was over, you kind of like hit a stride and you were just kind of doing oh, everything? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. How far in do you remember? Oh, it was probably I want to say it was probably like halfway through. Yeah, okay. Um, you just kind of get down to this strict schedule and. You know what they're expecting. You know what there is going to be happening, depending on, you know, what the moods of the drill instructors are or hmm. what training segment you're in. You know what kind of training you're going to be doing in the upcoming weeks. So, mm-hmm. and also you have other platoons that you're watching that are new and going through the same stuff you went through oh, weeks ago. Fascinating. Okay. And so it's kind of like, you know, don't worry, guys, you'll get through it. Yeah, yeah. you'll get through it. <laughs> well, you're probably talking smack to him but anyway well yeah (laughs) you gotta do that um so the basic makeup of the drill instructors is you usually have like anywhere from like three to five Mm -hmm. we had five at one time but starting out we were i think we were had four uh there was staff sergeant Mercado, which was like this short hispanic guy from new york who was super intense mm-hmm. and would normally require you to drag like what we call a footlocker mm-hmm. for him to stand on so he could yell at you mm-hmm. and then uh we had sergeant Schuler, who was this uh super i mean he was just a solid uh dude he was motor t which is you know basically that was his mos but he was this you know, a black guy who had really, really dark eyes. Mm-hmm. I swear he didn't have pupils. It was just like he could stare right through your soul. Oh, my gosh. And then we had... Uh, What's, an MO? that, What's an MOS? Uh, MOS is... Uh, oh, gosh. This is more curious That's just your me. job. That's, oh, okay. That's basically what your, what your um, expertise is. Okay. Um, so third, anyway. third drill instructor. Yeah, that's uh, Sergeant Estes, which he was this crazy, like, ripped white dude that was probably doing drugs or steroids <laughs> or something because he ended up, like, getting kicked out as a drill instructor because he, like, pushed some recruit up against the wall at one point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so he he wasn't there for probably a couple weeks. He he was always, like, he had veins popping in his neck. Oh, my. You did not want to take him off because yeah, you didn't seriously. know what he was on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um. And then there was our senior drill instructor, who was probably the most intimidating of all, mm-hmm. and that was Sergeant Huff, and he okay. was in the infantry, but he was like this super tall, skinny, ripped uh, white guy with like like a carrot red hair. Okay. And it's like, that's, he was just, you know, me having a redhead, redheaded wife and everything, redheaded girls are one thing, but guys that are redheads <laughs> that join the military typically have like... Some anger issues or something that they're working through, yeah. it seems like. Yeah. Um, but he had, like, we call it, like, a teardrop haircut. Okay. And it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and he had these, like, baby blue eyes uh-huh. that were just, like, extremely, like, crisp. 
and yeah. clear. Yeah. Super disturbing. Yeah. And when we were there, probably, let's see, when we, we did our onboarding week and then we got into our platoon and he, you know, the night before, I'll, I'll share this one story. The night before he had given us our, you know, orders and everything, what we were supposed to do, what we were expected to do mm-hmm. while being in the platoon. Mm-hmm. And he told us, you know, don't, don't try them. Don't push the limits. Do exactly as he says, or you will pay the consequences. And, he, and we had like an hour every evening to mm-hmm. write letters back to home. Okay. Or, you know, read whatever. So one of the cardinal rules is to not be writing letters or have any letter writing gear out at night. We were supposed to put everything away and put it in our footlockers and lock it. Okay. Well, when we were supposed to clean it up the night before and he had just given us this whole speech, somehow my letter writing gear had slipped underneath my rack Uh and I didn't see it. Uh So we put everything away and wake up in the morning, get online. As I'm getting online, I see my envelopes and stuff underneath my bed. Uh-huh. And I don't have any time to pick it up because yeah. they flip the lights on and they're walking down and you better be online like right now. Yeah. And so I saw the letter writing gear under my bed and I was like, I'm a dead man. Yeah. They're going to kill me. Yeah. He's going to kill me because he yeah. just said, don't do this. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. And they hadn't, we, um, intense training IT. Mm-hmm. Whenever they IT you, that's when they just... Work the living snot out of you. Yeah. On a quarter deck. Nobody had gone through that yet. Okay. At least from the senior drill instructor. Because he's kind of like the mm. head figure. The drill, other drill instructors have to go with what he says. Okay. And he's kind of like the dad of the group. Okay. But you don't want to tick off the dad. Yeah. Anyway, he starts walking down the aisle. And I see these baby blue eyes look. And his eyes get super huge. As he sees the letter writing gear underneath my rack. Uh-huh. And he just stares a hole through me. Yeah. And I'm like, this is it. He's, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, saying all kinds of curse words. And he's like, I can't believe you do this, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, get on the quarterdeck recruit. And I was like, oh, no, this is it. And so, <laughs> I mean, he, I swear, we, he IT'd me for like two hours. And I wanted to die. Oh, man. <laughs> and so after that experience, I was like. I felt like I was on his crap list, and I was just trying to do whatever I could to keep out of trouble. Yeah. And we ended up forming a, a decent relationship, I, I guess as decent as that relationship could be. Yeah. Um, what week mutual, was this? Mutual respect. Do you have any idea, like, what week this was? Um, well, we had a uh, kind of a big situation go on in our platoon where one of the guys committed suicide. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I was actually the recruit that found the guy. Really? They have, which was a little bit, you know, crazy. Yeah. Um, but you have night watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it fire watch. And so there's a guy that's a rover that walks up and down the racks, and there's a guy at the front of the uh, squad bay and a guy at the rear. Mm-hmm. And so I was the one that found the guy, and that drill, uh, the lead, Sergeant Huff, was on duty that night, and so... I helped him and everything. And so after that, we were kind of, we were cool. They didn't bother me anymore, probably because they didn't know where I was at, Yeah, you know, mentally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so after that, we were, I didn't really have any issues. Um, the one other story I'll tell after here in a second. But anyway, so that, we were kind of cool after that. Yeah. Nobody really bothered me. Yeah. Um, which was kind of nice. But sure, yeah. It's it's whatever. Yeah. But I, I remember one time, I guess this is another story. Anyway, sorry, the kind of no, you're good. starts stirring up there. But I remember one time and it was it was during uh right, right before Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And our drill instructor let us make one call to our moms. And it was only like it's only gonna be like a two minute call. Yeah. But that was his gift to us, quote unquote. Yeah. Um well we had to go into his office and use his phone. Wow. So it you know, there's a lot of pressure not to say anything dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm on the phone with my mom, and she's like, hey, how's it going? And uh, I don't know what was going through my mind, but I just, like, moved back into, like, 
old Charles mode. Okay. Where I'm just like talking to my mom, like in the kitchen. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's going pretty good. Having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I looked over at his face and he just stares a hole at me again. Oh, he's like, geez. And I hang up. And he's like, a good time, huh? A good time. We're going to have a real good time. Oh, my Don't gosh. Don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Just, like, really stick your foot in your mouth. But um, In his office. Yeah. He's sitting right there. Oh, oh I, no. I was like, my, I was, my side was facing him. And as soon as I said it, I was like, in my mind, like, you idiot. What have you just done? <laughs> but, yeah, so it was oh, definitely man. a crazy time. Oh, yeah. So this other story I was going to say, yeah. um, we were about halfway through training. And, you know, like, we're getting pretty comfortable. You know, you're, you're doing drill movements all the time. Yeah. And when you're going through the chow hall, you're expected to go through the line, and you have to do precise, like, 90-degree turns and things like that. And okay. And drill maneuvers. Yeah. So, which, you know, isn't, isn't really needed during that time. You're just trying to get food. Yeah. But they're just trying to... Drill this. It's almost like they want you in a zone the whole time. Constantly. Yeah. So I have to walk and do two 90 degree turns around this uh, food chow line. Mm -hmm. And I have to go past like three of my drill instructors and like a couple other drill instructors from another company Mm -hmm. who were standing there watching their Marines go through. I'm sorry, not Marines yet. Recruits. They were watching their recruits go through, making sure they didn't mess up. Okay. Well, I go around the these two corners, and I had two really nice 90-degree turns. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm in the clear. <laughs> okay. And I walk past the drink section. You know, I have a, got a drink on my cup or on my tray and everything, and there's this, like, six-foot-tall stack of plastic cups oh, at the no. end of this drink fountain. Okay. And they're on a wheeled cart. Okay. And our boots have, like, a pretty, like, crisp ledge on, it, on the edge of them. Mm-hmm. And so as I do a 90-degree turn again to go towards the tables, mm-hmm. that ledge of my boot on my heel catches under the lip of the tray no. of the cart and literally spills all these plastic cups in this chow hall. It is super loud, and everybody just stops what they're doing. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, this is it again. You've done it again, Charles. <laughs> You're going to die again. <laughs> and I, I literally thought I was, I mean, now I've got, like, 30 drill instructors that are just going to yeah. come and prey on me. Yeah. And I look back, and, my, like, all three of my drill instructors, with the exception of one new drill instructor who was kind of a joke. Yeah. Um, okay. Sergeant Siviello. He was, like, straight out of drill instructor school, took himself too seriously, and was just not a very intimidating drill instructor. Sure. He was the only one that came yelling at me, but that was, like, my mind was, like, on the other three drill instructors that were there. Yeah. And they didn't even, they weren't even looking at me. They had their, their covers, their drill instructor covers covering their face. Okay. And as soon as I saw that they were covering their faces, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. But like, I'm in the clear because they were trying not, trying everything they could to not laugh. Sure. <laughs> it's a pretty comedic thing if oh, you it was think hilarious. about it. Yeah. And, but like all the recruits sitting at the tables were just like staring at me thinking I was going to be devoured and served for the next meal or something. Yeah. What's a cover? You said that they had their covers uh, that's on. That's just their, that's their military's, or at least the Marines' version of a hat. Okay. So that's what they call hats, is their okay. cover, military cover. So like over their face, or they, they were just wearing they were, it? They were holding their covers in their hands, covering their face. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, to, just to try to maintain bearing, because yeah. bearing is everything for a drill instructor. Yeah. If you lose your bearing, then you lose... All respect. Right, which you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. So they were trying their best to not laugh. Yeah. Which, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I, I'm saved. This, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to make it out of this. <laughs> but, uh, oh, my gosh. And they, you said that was the third turn of four? Or second turn Yeah, that turn was like four. my third 90-degree turn, and I was like almost in the clear. Oh, and then man. Like, I, I mean, you make these precise movements, and you have to do them really distinctly. Yeah. And as soon as I caught that that uh, wheeled cart oh my full gosh. of six-foot stack of plastic cups, it immediately flipped it. So basically the whole time you are on an edge. Yeah, pretty much. And even the hour that you have that you said in the evenings, you're still not even. Well, like during that time, it's, it's a lot more, I'll say relaxed, but it's not necessarily relaxed. Like the drill instructor is still there, but. 
that's your time to like get ready for the next day. If you need to get some gear ready or something, or okay, work on something that they've told you, that's the time to do it, and you can have time to read a letter or write a letter. Makes sense. Yeah. So I understand there's like different revolutions of training, and it all happens at different times. Like you have to learn how to shoot guns. You have to learn how to. Well, march, you have to learn how to yeah. make turns. You have to learn how to... They probably make you do even really significant, like, how to make your bed, how oh. to lace your boots. All that stuff yeah. is... You have to do it every single thing a specific way. Can you just run me through, like, what a typical day might look like? When do they wake you up? What do you typically start the day with? I think typically we woke up around 5 okay. or 5.30. And, and where is this? North Carolina? South Carolina. South Carolina. Yeah. Paris Island? Yep. Okay. And so typically we'd wake up and we'd either get IT'd, depending on what went on during the night watch, um, whether somebody messed up or not. Got it. So we'd either go out to a sand, sand pit and do exercises in it first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. at, which they called making sugar cookies, which we were the <laughs> sugar cookies. Sure. Yeah, sweaty, covered in sand. It's great. <laughs> and uh, so then you'd come back, potentially, if, that, if you did do that, You'd get cleaned up really quick, and then you'd go to the chow hall, and then you'd just go through different training segments throughout the day, depending on what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of knowledge training. Uh, oh, and again, you're marching constantly, no matter yeah. where you are. Yeah. And the Marines are different because we had our rifles with us the entire time. Okay. So you're training with your rifle. You, that, that thing stays glued to you. Yeah, Unless day you're one? in the squad bay. So you yeah. get a rifle. Well, not, rifle. not from day one. It's like... We go to the armory probably within a couple of days of getting to our uh, getting to our platoon. Okay, got so, it. All right. But yeah, so it's very strict, and we probably go to bed at like eight thirty, I think every okay. night. Okay. So you're literally once I got out of boot camp, I my body would just like shut off at a certain point <laughs> sure. at night. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Did you have any trouble sleeping? No. Is it just because they work you to death, or is that a way that oh, you're, you're exhausted? Yeah, yeah, that's that's unreal. So, what 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 is the rifle that that they give you? Uh, they give you an M16. It's an M16. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I should say you're issued an M16. It, yeah, they don't yeah. give it to you. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. It's on lend, maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, in that documentary that I referenced, they talked about something a crucible, maybe. Where yeah. it's like four, like several, where you you're just awake for like fifty some hours or something. Did you? Is, um, I think it's right around. I want to say it's like seventy two in a, like a seventy two hour period, but okay. you probably only get maybe four hours of sleep because you're doing multiple watches each night. Yeah, you're doing night exercises and you're just utterly exhausted. Yeah. Um. Not to mention, like, at least in. This, there's big controversy among Marines internally because there's the West Coast Marines who think they have it the hardest, and then there's the East Coast Marines who think they have it the hardest. Didn't know this was so, a thing. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of controversial uh, talk <laughs> going back and forth. So, obviously, I was East Coast, so that's harder. But <laughs> Was there any chance that you could have been a West Coast? Is it because of where it, you live? No, it literally depends on where you live. Okay. But... I was curious about that. Okay, so you're coming to the end of everything. You have to go do this crucible. You knew it was coming. Yeah, you're you're prepping for this, and then you have different training exercises throughout that, and you're going. What was the name of that? It's like an old airstrip they used in World War II. Okay. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like boggy, hmm. just pine forest with this airstrip that goes through in different areas. It's super disorienting, and. Hmm. You're just marching around all day long, doing all these different exercises and movements and testing your skills and uh, so you doing use, these obstacle courses. The way you're almost describing it is that you just fell into like a rhythm with it. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah. So you just, you're okay, we're here, we're doing this thing. You did it and then you go here and you do this thing and it's just this constant kind of like repetition and then suddenly it's over? Yeah, you make... you. You make like a 10-mile, we would call it, and I, I get a lot of slack from my brother because he was Air Force. <laughs> we, we call these like marches like humps. Okay. That's just what we call them. Yeah. So we went for like a 10-mile hump to get back to the main base, uh-huh. back to our squad bay. 
And it's, I think, let's see, it was the end of June. So it's extremely muggy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the bottom of South Carolina. Oh. And you are just miserable. Yeah. And you've been up for who knows how long. And your feet are soaked, even though you've, we've, we had opportunity to change your socks and stuff. But yeah. Your, your feet, your whole body's demolished. Yeah. And they take you back to your squad bay, and you go to the chow hall after you drop off your gear, and you, they just give you this big meal, mm -hmm. which is the last thing your body needs. Right. Because you've been eating nothing but, like, scraps for, like, this whole time. Barely any rations. You have to make it last. Do you feel and like so, you were hydrated? Well, we always had plenty of water. They, okay. they always, I mean, it's, again, South Carolina in the summer. Yeah. It's, if they have anybody drop out because of, you know, dehydration, it's a big deal. Yeah, makes sense. So the, the drill instructors are always pushing water. Yeah. You just get sick of drinking water. Yeah, I believe it. But, uh, so you're sitting down you, with a huge meal that you don't even want to eat. Do yeah, you have you're to? Just, you're just, I mean, you really want to eat it, but the smart guys would just like pace themselves and just eat a little bit. They wouldn't put on their plate any more than they wanted to actually eat. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you put food on your plate, are you required to eat it all? You're definitely expected to. Okay. Yeah. I assumed it would be something yeah. like that. So you're, you're sitting here, you have food to eat. Do you want to eat it personally? Um, it's weird because like, Part of your body wants to eat it. Part of like part of your mind wants to eat it, and your body's like, "I want nothing to do with this." Huh? Okay. It's weird. Yeah. Some guys would just eat a huge plate and then just end up puking, you know, puking it later. Oh yeah. Yeah. And one of our guys, uh, one of the recruits during the, the hike back, uh, I can't remember his name, but anyway, he had like a super high IQ. He was like 32 years old when he went into it, hmm. and we called him the old man. And I think it was like Ritker or something like that. But anyway, okay. he had a temp. They they tempt him. He ended up collapsing at our squad bay when we came back uh -huh. because he was extremely like spent, dehydrated. Even though we're drinking water, you're you're sweating it out faster than you can consume it. Right. But he had a temp of like a hundred and eight or something like that. Holy cow! I mean, and typically, you know, at that point, you're losing massive amount of brain cells. You have potential for you know, having, you know, repercussions, serious, damage. serious repercussions yeah. after that. Well, he literally went to the sick bay and had IVs for like maybe 20 hours and came back and was like completely fine. Wow. Like, Whew. and we, we always joked, we were like, well, you were supposed to go in the air force cause you were this really smart dude. But <laughs> since you just had that experience, you lost enough brain cells to become a Marine. So, <laughs> So we, we were always joking that it was, that was his rite of passage. He was just too smart to be one of us until he went through that experience. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So what was graduation like for you? I assume your family was able to come for that. Yeah, they did. Um, you go on this uh, what's called a moto run, just a motivational run, and you run around the base. I can't remember how long it is, but you're just pumped. Yeah. And you go back and, and uh, change into your dress uniform and go – into your formation and go through all the. So you're in the dress blues at this point. No, no, we were we Different were in our uh, dress alphas. Okay. So which is, well, we probably had our service bravos on. Which again, all the nomenclature and everything, it's ridiculous. I think we had, <laughs> yeah, our long sleeve like tan shirts because we you couldn't have a jacket because it was way too hot. Yeah. Um, the only people that got dressed blues out of boot camp at that point were the squad, like, probably, like, the squad leader or the platoon leader, and then... Is that a recruit, or is that somebody yeah, who goes in for that? Yeah, that's a recruit who, like, got into a, a position in the platoon as, like, leading it. Okay. So... So that could happen to it. anybody. You go in, you could potentially? You could. It just depends on your aptitude and sure. how much you're willing to take a role of leadership and Got so it. it looks good on you and usually those guys get get promoted to like pfc or lance corporal if they're already at pfc wow okay this depends okay i was just in survival mode yeah. so i was like i don't care what ha what happens or what i get i'm just doing my job the best i can and getting out of here yeah but yeah so it was it was definitely strange after they dismiss us and 
we're officially Marines and yeah. you go, you get dismissed and you just like leave the formation and you go and find your family. My uh, parents all had like, they made up t-shirts and my grandma's there. And so it's just like, <laughs> oh, it was kind of painful. I what, was like. What did the t-shirts say? Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. It was like Harger or something and like family of Harger. And I'm just like, come on, guys, guys. come on. <laughs> this is like going against the opposite of what you're supposed to do with boot camp, which is to blend in, not yeah. stick out. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to take them for family day. You get to take them and show them your squad bay and everything and. Which was a pretty uh, frustrating experience for me because my uh, my sisters Amy and Grace were there. Okay, and I think I can't remember if my brother Stuart was there or not. He might not have been there. Um, but Amy and Grace are always asking all these questions and kind of laughing and goofing off, and I'm just like, "You guys need to stop now." Do you I, have any idea I'm, what I went through? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and at this one point, uh, it was either Amy or Grace like step into this like fire ant nest. What? Because there fire ants are like all over the place down there. You have fire ants, you have sand fleas, and sand fleas. They're these little miserable insects that just like bite you, especially if you're just standing in formation and you can't move and can't swat them. And if you do swat them and kill one, then you're probably going to have to dig in the sand until you find it, put it in your pocket, and then give it a proper burial later that day. Oh my gosh! Um, It can get pretty ridiculous, but yeah. Sand fleas are terrible. Wow. Okay. I want to come back to that in a second. But Amy steps, or oh, one of them steps in a I fire I can't remember if it was Amy or Grace. They step in this fire ant nest, and they're, like, yelling because these fire ants are biting them. And I, like, and I get super focused in business mode, and I, like, rip off their shoe, and I, like, dust off all the ants with my hand and, like, put the shoe back on. I'm just, like, stop yelling. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So did she stop yelling? Yeah. They were just, like, staring at me like I was a monster. And I'm just, like, <laughs> You guys are just really hurting my, hurting the image here. I'm trying yeah. to uphold. <laughs> Don't you understand? I'm a Marine now. Yeah. Now, uh, it's true in the Marines that once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. So you don't ever say, I was a Marine, right? Um, yeah. If anything, you'd probably, you could say like, you know, as former active Marine or. Active. Yeah. That's what yeah. I assumed. Pro- it's probably every branch of the military, I would say. Yeah. But it's like with the Marines, it's. It's we really have this chip in stone. on our shoulder, about yeah. Like this. so, it's drilled into our heads. Like, yeah. No, no self-respecting marine is going to say I was an ex-marine. Like, yeah. You're not an ex-marine unless you got kicked out like dishonorably. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, yeah. So you were done with that. You graduate. Do you go home? Uh, yeah. We went home for I think like ten days. Okay. Which were just all. It was also a blur, and also just like hard for me to even put into words, I feel like I was trying to still act like I was in boot camp. I was acting super rigid and yeah. hard to deal with, and faith was ticked off at me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody was just, they're just like, oh, he's totally Well, changed. she was he's one totally who was changed. all concerned that you would change for yeah. the worse, and yeah. so she might have been feeling like he did change for yeah. the worse. Yeah, because I was a robot. I was, yeah. That's basically what you are after boot camp. You're a robot. Yeah, no doubt. So you were almost probably ready to get back into it. Not um, to boot yeah. camp, but get you're, back to... You're pretty pumped, and you're ready to like go on to your you know, initial combat training and then your job training after that. Yeah. So, so you still had combat training. Yeah, the um, MCT, uh, Marine, Marine Combat Training. So everybody goes through that. Unless you're going in the infantry, then you go to, I think it's like... SOL or something or SOL. Probably I can't been, remember. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's like infantry training. Okay. Anybody that listens to this that was infantry is gonna like make fun of me or whatever. I don't <laughs> care. They're gonna it's call fair. me a pogue. That's <laughs> a pogue. Personnel other than grunts. Okay. So all right. That's whatever. I don't care. So when did you know that you were gonna be a combat engineer? Is that were you able to sign up for that initially? So yeah, typically the ideal situation is you pick your MOS before you join the military. Yeah. Uh and then once you have that built in in your contract, that's you know that's kind of what the direction you're headed. Now a lot of the guys will just do an open contract, which could be kind of risky. Yeah, you could go infantry, you could be a cook, it's you could be whatever they need, whatever they need, and whatever your um, uh, IQ test or basically right. whatever came up to. Right. Uh, as long as it's 
you know, qualifies for that. So the ASVAB, which again, all military uh, personnel go and take that test. So you knew that you were going to be a combat engineer. You go to combat training. How long is that? That's a, a well, what was that? I want to say it was a month. Something like a month. So a month. So not too long. How was that? In, how how does your mind compare that to the boot camp? It was very, very much different because at that point you're a Marine. Mm-hmm. Now you're still treated like crap, basically, by the instructors. Yeah. Um, but it's it's definitely less intense. Yeah. Um, again, it kind of depends on your instructors. Some of them have a chip on their shoulder because they didn't make it through DI school or something and they wanted to do this, so they're going to make your life miserable or yeah. try to. So, sure. Again, and it's also, that's at that point we're in North Carolina, but it's still summer so it's still miserably hot yeah and uh, i think we had are you with the same guys some of the same guys a couple of the same guys okay yeah i mean you to a certain extent you're you're pretty much with the main group of guys that you were going through with um makes sense now every every couple of uh, i think it's companies as far as that goes in the uh combat training there will be like a platoon of female Marines attached. Right. So we would go through kind of training side by side with them. Right. Which was definitely different because um, while female Marines do train on Paris Island, that's the only place they train uh, or go through boot camp. Okay. Um, We don't see them ever there, like almost never. Like maybe on the rifle range and passing. But it's just like awkward from being with a bunch of dudes for such a long time. And then having... Uh, uh, women, I always say females because it's like female Marines, male Marines. Yeah. Anyway, um, having them like train in some capacity alongside with you is just kind of like awkward. It just feels weird. You're like trying to help them to a certain extent, but like they're the last people that want help from you Yeah. because they have a huge chip on their shoulder because that's just what they inherited in boot camp. Yeah. So... It was it was strange for me at least because having four sisters, I'm always like, you know, help them out. I feel like I yeah. I have that just mode. I try to help women out as much as possible. Yep. And but they're like the last like most of those women could probably beat me up. I, <laughs> maybe not necessarily, but some of them definitely probably could, you know, hurt me. Sure. But yeah, that, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was kind of wondering about that, like going through all this with the same guys, because I can't imagine the camaraderie that you probably end up with once you come out of it. I mean, you're probably fighting and not getting along as well, but once you're done with boot camp, I feel like there's probably a good camaraderie oh, that yeah. gets built. Yeah. So, but then that does make sense because if you know that you're going in for combat engineer, then you're probably around people in boot camp that are going for that same thing. Yeah, there were so a couple guys together. That I knew. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you go from the combat training into your actual training to be a combat engineer. Is mm-hmm. that correct? So how long was that? That was, let's see. I think about the timeline here. I think it was probably a month and a half. A month and a half. Was it more fun? Was that the most fun? Uh, I don't know that I would clarify it as fun. It was sure. definitely the most kind of liberating you experience at that time because you're in a room with maybe other one roommate Uh and you're kind of doing your own thing you have certain liberty to go around the base and you know go to the px which is basically like a walmart Mm -hmm. uh good things that you need there's definitely a a new sense of freedom sure you have at that point yeah sure so you're almost kind of getting into that mode going out hanging with buddies on the weekend there was like off a, base? Um, no, not off base. But okay. you had to you had to stay on base, but or you were supposed to anyway. There were some guys that would sneak off and get in trouble, but um, yeah, no doubt. There was a beach on base, so oh, we nice. could go to the beach or whatever, um, things like that. So it was definitely a way different experience compared to like the combat training and boot camp, just because of the freedom and yeah. you got to meet guys and talk with them on a different level. Yeah. It was definitely very bonding. Yeah. And I've still got several several buddies that I went through uh, common engineer training with 
that I still talk to and hang out with from time to time. Is there anybody that you went through all three rotate or all three things with? Uh, not that were in my direct platoon, but I had uh, one of my buddies was in our company okay. that uh, went through the whole way with. But yeah, so and we hang out. I'm actually going to be the best man at his wedding next year. But oh, cool. Yeah, so we still keeping close contact. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, what kind of stuff did you learn in the combat engineer training stuff? So again, like I said, combat engineers very broad right. uh, field. You do anything from you know clearing minefields, detecting mines with minesweepers, um, wood construction, uh, felling trees, building uh, various demolition charges, and building bridges. All kinds of different stuff. Did you blow stuff up? Yes, that sounds fun. Yes. It was a lot of fun, and uh, it probably wasn't as much fun during school, but then, like, later on in my my four years towards the end, like the last year and a half, I was a um, military demolitions instructor. Oh, okay. I didn't so know I did a lot of probably, like, 14 months' worth of training guys how to use demolitions and blowing Here stuff Here or overseas? Uh, that, that was in North Carolina okay. at the, the main base there. Camp Lejeune. Yep. Okay. So that was definitely uh, much more of an enjoyable time. Yeah. It's kind of your, it's all in a controlled environment. So you're blowing stuff up in a controlled environment and it can be kind of uh, a little bit uh, anxious when you're training guys that have no idea what they're doing. Uh-huh. It just helps you to kind of make sure that they understand exactly what they're doing because you don't want them to mess up and, you know, blow something up or somebody up. Yeah, that would be not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, an enjoyable time. So, parts of it. There's, you know, there's always un, that parts of uh, the training that are not as enjoyable. But. Okay, so I just have a question that just came in. How has being in the Marines impacted your life now? Uh, I think it's given me a certain degree of, well, and part of this is just how my parents kind of brought me up. But, like, I definitely have a very uh, high level of pride that I take in my work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very, I would say, I'm I'm not trying to, like, boast here or anything, but, like, it's, it's, I just can't do something halfway and be okay with it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now there's some things that probably just my personality, like there's some things that I've just, you know, don't take on or whatever, because I don't know if I would be able to do it to the best of my ability. So I, sometimes you don't, I don't want to attempt that kind of stuff, which sure. is probably just a character flaw. I don't know. Sure. But anyway, um, I can be kind of a perfectionist from time to time. But again, part of that is just from, you know, me being similar to my dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I've, I feel like I get, I'm pretty, uh, pretty passionate about, um, my time during the service and, absolutely, you know, other people's service. And I have a, a very strong respect for that. And it's challenging, um, coming across people that don't understand it. Yep. And, can't appreciate it, but still want to talk about it and maybe dog on it to a certain extent. Mm. That's those are very challenging times for me. And typically, um, I'm not a super well-spoken person. I'm not the debate class kind of guy. So sure. normally, I just go into like a silent. I'm just not going to talk to you. This is going to be silent and awkward the whole time. Yeah, and yeah, that's what's happening. Do you stare through their soul? Did you learn that skill? Um, <laughs> No, because I'd probably get too upset. If, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it could be definitely challenging and frustrating for my wife from time to time mm. because like we might be going out with a different couple, and it might be someone that's kind of you know maybe an only child that doesn't have anything in common with what I have any of my experiences, and also wants to disrespect you know, military leaders or something like that. And I'm just like, we're done here. 
Yeah. And then my wife's like, why didn't you talk anymore? Because like, <laughs> I didn't want to punch that. But I don't oh, know. No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want and to punch I, that person. I've never lost my temper to that extent where I've gotten in a fist fight over something like that. Like, that's another sure. thing. I'm not going to go down to their level and, and degrade myself to that point. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. There's, there's definitely certain things that the Mar- my time in the Marines helped shape my character, which can be good and can be frustrating for the love, my loved ones around me. Sure. Yeah. So like, well, let's do this kind of an exercise. Let's say that you had the opportunity to say something to somebody who was a little bit ignorant to, um, what people that pick to go into the military, they do it usually for a, I would say a good reason. They have pretty good motivations for wanting to go in and do it to serve their country. So if you had the ability to say something to somebody that you just described that, is, that has the tendency to be a little bit ignorant, if they were standing here and they said, Charles, just tell, tell me how I'm being ignorant. I want to listen. What would you say? I would just emphasize the fact that you know everybody's paths are different in this world. Everyone lives different lives. Um, again, there's different reasons guys and, and girls join the military, you know, whether they are trying to get out of trouble and, you know, by joining the military, this alleviates them going to juvenile center Mm -hmm. or something like that, or they're trying to get, uh, their GI bill to help pay for college. There's a lot of stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. then there's a lot of guys who, uh, just have this cross to bear that want to do this and that end up serving 20 plus years. Right. That just because this is them. Yeah. Um, and then there's the guys like me who join just because they, they feel they need to do something. They feel called to, uh, to join that kind of a brotherhood. It really appeals to some people. Yeah. And so I would probably just encourage them to, to look past necessarily the, uh, the difference in choice that they they made compared to what this person might choose and just to try to get to know the person and, and listen and hear them out. And I would make the same distinction to guys in the military who are like, oh, civilians are trash, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't, you don't know what these people's life experiences are. You don't know, you know, maybe they had a dad that was in the military that was a piece of junk and treated mm-hmm. them like garbage. You don't know. Yeah. And so... And it's it's super easy to judge before you know somebody. Yes. Um, and that's one of the you know human errors, one of yeah. the biggest human errors of, our, of history of humans. Yes. Is judging before you know somebody. So. Yeah. I would definitely just urge them to try to like talk to someone, get to know who they are as a person before you make any assumptions and things like that, and whether or not you dis- disagree with this military campaign or how this president did something or that president or this general or whatever. Um, it's just, uh, it's hard to kind of put into words, but it's almost like when you join that, that brotherhood or sisterhood, whatever you want to say, um, you're, you're really there serving with these, these men and women to make sure that they, at the end of the day, they come back to their families. Right. Like, regardless of what campaign you're going out on or mission or whatever, um, at least for me, a lot of people, like, it's, it's different. But right. at least for me, I was, I was on mission to make sure that these, these people were able to get through this situation mm-hmm. and go back and spend time with their families because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So... It's a very close-knit, strong, strong bond. Right. I mean, absolutely for the Marines, but even with between service members. I have buddies that were in the Navy that I'm super close to, and you've really come to appreciate their time in the service as well. And again, some Marines are like, oh, I only hang out with Marines because I can't stand other services, blah, blah, blah. Those, sure. guys, those guys are knuckleheads. And need to get outside of themselves. Sure. But, and that's just kind of the ring, ring mentality. Right. But I'm more, much more of the mind to just, you know, we're all in this together. Everybody has a role to play in the military. So let's work together and 
get through this together. Yeah. That's and I good. also uh, spent a lot of time growing up volunteering and helping the American Legion mm. guys who were like former, you know, Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, all different yeah. walks of military life. And you get a, a way different level of respect for military service from helping out those guys. Absolutely. Like helping them during Memorial Day, like putting flags on the, on the gravestones of former veterans and things like that. It's super moving and, and motivating. Hmm. People, um, can, people can do that? Um, I'm, I'm sure. There, I, I have no doubt if you went to like your local American Legion post and, and told them you wanted to help with stuff like that, they would be thrilled. Because most of those guys want nothing more than to just kind of spread their legacy and, and help the public understand yeah. more about you know, the military. Yep. Yeah, that's I. I actually didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't know that you could, but that makes absolute sense. So, yeah, we have a couple American Legion posts around here in Westerville. So um, that's in Ohio. Um, so I think that's that's a really good practical way for folks that don't want to necessarily be ignorant. Maybe you're like me and you wanted to go in the military at some point, but it never panned out. But you have a respect for. Uh, the men and women that have served in the armed forces. So that is a good practical way that you could potentially get involved. There's probably other things that you could do to get involved, but that's sounds to me like going and putting flags on a, on gravestones is uh, uh, maybe a one day type commitment, commitment and probably not even a whole day. And then you can ask some of these, some of these guys that, um, that you come in contact with, ask them about their stories um, and maybe learn a little bit more. So maybe you're not quite as ignorant. Um, we are at an hour. I'm trying to think, Oh, there's one more thing that I wanted you to be able to address. So if there's anybody who's listening to this podcast and they are thinking about becoming a Marine, what would you say to them? I would just encourage them to really, uh, Think about it. Not don't just make a, a snap decision to do. I mean, it works out for some guys, but it's a really big commitment. And the last thing you want to do is get into a situation where you are totally unprepared and totally disagree with something that you know this the way that they do things. Like some guys just can't really take instruction from somebody else. Like yeah. I would not necessarily recommend the Marine Corps for that because your time is going to be miserable, at least through boot camp, unless it, unless it's, you know, further on past that, unless you actually, you know, understand, you just shut your mouth and take these orders and yeah. obey them. Like some yeah. guys just, oh, I, I can't be told what to do. Like I hear that a lot. Like, well, I just don't take orders from people, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad you weren't in there because I wouldn't have wanted to serve with you probably because you'd be miserable. Yeah. you make my life hell as, as compared to serving with guys who do the best that they can no matter what. Yeah. So I would just encourage them to really think about the decision, uh, you know, find another person who's maybe served in the Marines, talk to them, mm. and just really, really think about it. Uh, it's not something, it's not for everybody by any means. Uh, right. But it is a very rewarding experience even i mean i only did four years but i wouldn't trade it for the world yeah yeah uh, but yeah so along those lines what would you say to somebody who has thought it out they have made the decision to do it and you know that they've thought it out they so let's say one of the this hypothetical individuals coming to you and you have a conversation with them and you assess that, yeah, they've thought this out. They've, they're, they've been able to mentally make a good decision. They're going to do it. They want to go. If they said, how, how can I prepare myself? I would basically just tell them to ask for materials from the recruiter and just study whatever they can. I mean, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter how much you prepare. Yeah. You're not going to be ready for boot camp because <laughs> it's impossible to prepare fully for boot camp. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's designed that way. Yeah. They're, it's designed to break you down to nothing and raise you up as a group with these other men. Yeah. So 
that's just how it is. Makes sense. Um, well, yeah, we're, we're pretty close to time, so I really appreciate you coming on, Charles. Yeah, um, definitely. I'd like to have you on again because there's a ton of stuff that we didn't even get to. So, I mean, what I feel like I've learned is I've always had a respect for people in the armed forces. My dad went in during the Vietnam War uh, into the Army, and he was over in Vietnam for 18 months. I think your point was really good about, you know, maybe listen more, talk less, and get to know people around you that have served in the military and ask them, ask them questions and just listen to their stories because... I, I dare anybody that has not gone through anything like what you've described in boot camp to to it just it it is very ignorant to say something negative when you've never remotely gone through anything that difficult. So the stuff that you're talking about where you're in this for twelve weeks and that's just boot camp. That's just to become a marine. People that go in and do this, they are paying a price. Their life gets put on hold. Um, were you and Lou together before this? We were, I think we were in a small group or something like that. Um, but we, we knew each other and were talking. I, I was way more interest, interested in her than I think she was in me at the time. Sure. But, which is just typical. That's pretty me. normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, we ended up getting married when I had like a year and a half left. It was 2009. No, 2010, we got married. Yeah, whoops. Okay. Anyway. I do that all the time. Yeah. No, we started dating in 2009 when I came back from Iraq. So, okay. But we can cover all that yeah, kind we'll of stuff later. Yeah, we'll cover that the next, the next time. That's a to be continued. So, um, Charles, again, thanks for coming on. Really looking forward to having Definitely you on. Definitely, that was awesome. Thank um, you for having me. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, man, just li- listen. Talk to and listen to somebody who served and... Hear, hear their stories.